Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. In spite of all our communication technology, no invention is as effective as the sound of the human voice. When we hear the human voice, we instinctively want to listen in the hopes of understanding it. Even when the speaker is searching for the right words to say, that's because the human voice resonates differently from everything else in the world. This is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Listen in on candid conversations with creative entrepreneurs and insanely interesting people. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Alex Jamieson co-wrote the iconic food documentary, Super Size Me, which eventually led to the publication of her book, The Great American Detox Diet, and multiple best-selling books that followed. In this interview, we take a look at the relationship between the food we consume, our bodies, and the filmmaking process for Super Size Me. Alex, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks, man. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled to have you. I mean, you know, it's funny. You and I got to to sit down and have drinks, and then, you know, Bob clued me into exactly what your work was all about. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, she co-wrote Super Size Me? I'm like, how did that not come up in our conversation? <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, before we get into all that, I mean, I'm really curious uh, about sort of the journey uh, that you've experienced, your story, your background, how that has led to uh, all of the things that you've worked on. Yeah, you know, it's this is really great timing. I feel like you're catching me at a time where I have so much clarity around how the heck all this came to be. Because um, actually, my mom just passed away really recently, just several weeks ago. And I had this incredible tunnel 2020 vision on my life mm-hmm. in the last month that has really a lot of pieces have just fallen into place where it's just a series of insights and whoa. And I mean, talk about aha moments when, you know, luckily my mom and I had a great understanding of each other in the last few years and there's no, you know, unresolved stuff, but I'm able to see how all of everything I am came from how I was raised. Mm -hmm. And it started in my childhood. I was raised by my parents who were both teachers. And my mom was also this incredible artist and gardener on this organic mini farm outside of Portland, Oregon. And she had an organic gardening radio show for 10 years on the little local public radio station. 
And just recently we found the recording of her last show where she says, you know, I'm ending the show after 11 years and I really hope that someone picks this up and, and keeps going with it because it's so hard to find the information on how to raise food organically. And, you know, this was in like 86. Mm-hmm. And at the time, yeah, she was it. You know, there was no Internet. She was the one who was bringing together all the resources and helping people call into the radio station to find out this really important information about how you could garden and grow your own food healthfully. So, you know, I just, I grew up knowing how to grow food and I know the work that goes into it and the love and the patience, but I also had this insane sweet tooth. You know, my mom was one of those hippie moms that only brought carob into the house for the first 10 years of my life. (laughs) And even I knew the difference. I was like, this is not chocolate. Okay. But I discovered that I could be very crafty and I... I found out that the kids that went to Sunday school at the church down the street got cookies and Kool-Aid. So I started going to Sunday school by myself at age seven. Like I was literally going to church to drink the Kool-Aid on a weekly basis so that I I didn't learn anything about Jesus. Which is funny considering what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) I I literally just went for the snacks. Um, And continued to get as much sugar as possible by getting my own jobs and working in high school. But I say luckily, luckily I got very sick at the age of 25 because of the way I ate. You know, I really lived on junk food and fast food and takeout for about 10 years. And when I moved to New York City at the age of 25, my body just collapsed. What was left of my immune system Uh, I think maybe the stress of the city, I had to go on antibiotics for a knee surgery. It destroyed what was left of my immune system. And I started putting on weight really quickly. I was depressed. I had no energy. I had migraine headaches three, four days a week. And I had this moment where I was like, wait, I'm 25. I'm not supposed to feel this bad. And I went to a doctor and I told him what was going on. And really within a few minutes of being in his office, he handed me a couple of prescriptions for painkillers and said, I should get some Prozac or another antidepressant. And I I had a moment of real clarity and fear because another piece of my childhood came into this stark relief. You know, when I was, Um, between the ages of three and five, my mom's sister and her father, my aunt, my grandfather, both committed suicide by overdosing on their prescription painkillers. They were both, you know, he was a doctor and he was prescribing his own drugs for himself and he was giving them to my aunt. And I, I had so much fear and unresolved issue in my family around their deaths And it totally destroyed my mom for a while, you know, to lose her sister and her father in such close proximity to each other that I was always really afraid of taking any prescriptions that I didn't have to. So here I am, 25, feeling sick, not knowing what to do. I'm in all this pain and I'm given these prescriptions and I just didn't want to take them. And You know, so I I was juggling all these different emotions and I felt like there's got to be an answer to this pain I'm feeling. 
without, like, I want to heal myself. I don't just want to mask the symptoms with drugs. So I went to another doctor who was way more holistic and hippie-ish, someone my mom would have totally loved. And he asked me what I was eating. And when I told him, he said, ah, no wonder you're sick. You know, it was McDonald's and fast food and soda and caffeine and sugar, sugar, sugar all the time. And he put me on a diet. He said, we're taking you off sugar and caffeine. We're going to take out wheat and corn and all these other things. Um, Only fish and eggs, no other animal products. And I nearly cried in his office. I was like, this sounds terrible. This sounds so hard. I don't know how to do this. But I really, that was my moment of hitting bottom. And that sounded like a better alternative than going on the prescription drugs because of that fear I associated with the suicides in my family. Mm-hmm. So I took his list of foods and searched out the health food store. You know, this was 13 years ago. This was, there was no whole foods yet. <laughs> there were a couple of health. I didn't know what a veg, vegan, I didn't know any vegetarians or even what a vegan was. And I kind of stumbled through it, but I went to the library and let me just do a little shout out for libraries. You know, if you are ever lost about what to do next, go to the library and just start flipping through books. Cause I, I discovered this huge section of books on food and healing and it, it, it like ignited this huge desire in me. It's like, Oh, this is amazing. Like people have been doing this for centuries. They've been healing themselves with food. How cool is that? And I just dove into this renaissance of learning everything I could. The problem was I didn't know how to cook. So even though I knew how to grow lettuce, I couldn't cook anything really well. Um, So I ended up going back to culinary school. I found this amazing school here in New York City called the Natural Gourmet Institute. And I took one evening class there, just super basic stuff. And I was like, this is it. Oh, my God. If I can heal myself with food, you know, which I had in a couple of weeks on this guy's diet, I took out all the crap. My health totally improved. The headaches stopped. The weight was falling off. The depression vanished. It was like a miracle. I thought, I've I've seen the light. I have got to help other people do this. It's so cool when you can really make it happen and turn things around. Mm-hmm. So I went back full-time to culinary school. I quit my corporate law job that I was getting into, which was not fun at all. Uh, and being in the kitchen all day was really fun. And that's how, you know, right around that same time. So I was going to culinary school, super healthy hippie cooking school during the day, like learning Ayurvedic cooking and macrobiotics. And then at night to make money to go to school, I was working in this smoky Irish pub. (laughs) That was a total yin yang lifestyle. And, you know, I was eating hummus all day and then Guinness all night. It was fabulous. And while I was there, I, you know, I'm, I picked up this guy at the bar one night and he was cute and he was really interesting and his name was Morgan and we started dating. And within a couple of years of, you know, me saying, Hey, this is quinoa, try this. Like, Hey, this is kale, eat that. All the conversations we had about food and health and the, the school system and how people are fed in hospitals and schools. And we came up with the idea for supersize me together. 
Wow. So there's a, a ton of stuff here. So so let's do this. Let's let's take a few steps back to uh, to the beginning of this. I'm really glad that you brought up uh, you know childhood and and you know kind of how you were raised. You know, I've asked this question to a few people, and I feel like some people can find that sort of thing from their childhood that allows them to, to connect to their work today in a way that, that you know, they, they never have before. Um, and I think that gets lost. I think that gets completely stripped from us as we become adults and we conform to, to what's expected of us in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, I was raised from the polar opposite of hippie parents. I was raised by Indian parents, although, you know, some people might think they're hippie parents. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, we're, we're you to learn how to be hippies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're, I mean, but we're, you know, conformity is so encouraged by the culture that I grew up in. I guess my question really is, you know, you having sort of been able to find that clarity, uh, you know, especially now looking back, I mean, how do we find that thing that we've lost, um, that, you know, connects to our work today? Well, I think I was really lucky in that my parents from the beginning were all about, you know, follow your passion. They really hammered that home. You know, even though my dad had, you know, he was a very responsible, upstanding citizen. He was a high school principal for 25 years. But they both, they both were very clear that they had followed their passions in life. And that if you stick with it and you go with what you love, you will have a successful life, whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. And they were also pretty clear, you know, either through example or through actually saying it. Um, and, you know, I've had a lot of coaches and I've followed a lot of, you know, self-helpy type books and programs over the years. So I was lucky enough to see that you could, you know, a lot of what I had tried early in my career, you know, my first job out of college was working at an advertising firm in media planning, selling Clorox bleach, which I got to tell you, I don't care about selling bleach to people. It just, it was obviously not my passion. So I tried something else and then something else, but it was the freedom to find my way not because it either agreed or disagreed with my parents' viewpoint, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's what's even more challenging for people is is not, you know, following dad because he did this company, you know, following in mom's footsteps, but also not not following in their footsteps just because you don't want to be like them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's acknowledging that, yes, I come from these people and I am of these people, but I am still myself and I have my own perspective and my own talents. And it can, you know, I think it takes a level of maturity that some people find at 18 and some people don't find until they're 38 or 58 that, oh, this is what I want. Oh, this is what I love. This is me. And it just takes a lot of inquiry mm-hmm. and a lot of non judgmental seeing of your past. I think you have to get interested in looking at your stuff. You know, I, I know plenty of people who are not interested in looking at, you know, how they show up in the world, but they're also not seeing the the other possibilities for themselves because of that. Uh-huh. Well, I, I love this. So, I mean, you brought up this whole idea of inquiry and non-judgmental seeing. Uh, oh God. I mean, there's so like, you're right. I think that to me, I think one of the things that is really difficult for people is they're terrified of what they might discover if they go there. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, I also love that you brought up that you know, for some people it happens at 18, others 38. I mean, I, I you know, I think I, I wrote recently. I wrote a, a little thing on Facebook that said, you know, this is a letter to my 18-year-old self, and I said, you know, you will not, you 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 know, you'll start working at age 18, but your career will begin at 30. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's so interesting. I've heard this from my dad a few times now. He's recently retired, and he looks at my career. And he's like, wow your career would not have been possible when I was growing up mm-hmm. or, or, or possible for very, very few people because we can create our own things now and are totally our own perspective and voice using the internet and internet marketing and, you know, all of our disparate wild passions can come together in one, you know, personal brand. And, and that does take, a certain level of brave, bravery and willing to fail in full view of other people. Yeah. Um, I call it my, my life is a, a series of successful failures, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I tried one thing, didn't work. Okay, keep going. Um, but you have to, especially when you start putting yourself online and out there and getting fans and followers and dealing with social media, all that stuff, you have to be willing to be honest and face the, the judgment and repercussion that may come back to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love the honesty part. I mean, that's, that's definitely, that has set me free in more ways than you can imagine. But I want to dig deeper into this idea of non-judgmental inquiry, because I think that people can kind of understand that, but I mean, God, like to look at our past and to not judge it, that's so, that's so hard to do until you finally get to the point where you're capable of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can try and try and try to do that. It's like forgiveness. You know, you have to be able to forgive yourself and forgive your parents. I mean, we think we all see the ways that our parents maybe didn't do it right, (laughs) but, but I, you know, again, it's kind of a strange thing to say that I got a real gift out of my mom's passing that I, I, I'm, I totally forgive all the teenagey grudges that I held against her for so long. It's like, you know what? She did the best she could and her best was pretty awesome because here I am, I'm still alive. I'm a fully functioning creative being Mm -hmm. and thank you mom for that. Um, so this non-judgmental inquiry, you really have to be willing to step up and forgive and tell your parents, Hey, Mom, Dad, you did it right. Thank you. And that's that's a huge hurdle. It was for me for a long time, and I I, I know it is for a lot of other people as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been working in the, the health and wellness world for almost 14 years now. Yeah, 14 years now. Um, crazy. And, and this whole non-judgmental inquiry, I mean, that's what my whole business is built around now. I had a very distinct point of view when it came to health. You know, when I did that whole diet detox where I, I, I cured myself with diet 14 years ago. Well, you know, that, that was following a vegan diet. I became vegan. I was totally into it. I wrote three books about it, you know, after supersize me, I healed, I helped Morgan heal his body again after he got so sick, you know, he gained 24 and a half pounds. His cholesterol went up 60 points. His liver was so filled with fat. He was giving himself non-alcoholic hepatitis in a month of eating fast food. And 
we were able to completely turn around and heal everything in two months using a whole foods vegan diet, taking the sugar and the junk out. So I, you know, I was like, woohoo, everybody should try this. This is the way forward. And I still believe it's a very powerful tool, but it's just one of the powerful tools. And I had to be, I had to reach a place of non-judgmental inquiry with myself when a few years ago, after publishing three books on vegan cooking and living, I started to crave meat. (laughs) (laughs) This was, this was not okay. I was very irritated with my body and uh, you know, I, some, you know, a few people may have seen my kind of coming out blog. I put that in quotes, you know, I, I wrote a blog post. I'm no longer, I'm not vegan anymore about a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And I, it was so hard to publish that blog post. It took me months of rewriting and delaying myself before I finally put that up. But I had to get to an even deeper place of non-judgmental inquiry with myself. Like, Hey, this is what's true for me. Now my body is now asking for animal protein. It did great for over a decade on a completely vegan diet. It was exactly the right thing for me to do and to help share with other people. And now things are different. You know, your body changes over time. It was great for me at 25 at 38. It's not working. I may go back to it again, but you can't discover what's right for you if you judge everything you do. You have to be open. Okay, that so now, now you've hit one of my hot buttons. Something that really, honestly, has has been kind of a threat, ongoing thread in the show here, especially this idea of this you know non-judgmental inquiry of ourselves. Because I think that when we get to this point of, of having a voice or or having an opinion, one that you know many people follow or many people. Uh, listen to or many people read we we give ourselves sort of tunnel vision and you know you get to this point where you you know I I was I remember there was a point at which I gave a talk at Pepperdine thinking everybody should go and do their own thing and you know here I am three and a half years later and my conclusion is that this is not for everybody like I would definitely not think that everybody should you know go out and do their own thing or, or start their own thing because it really for some people, other paths are much more, you know, fitting. I mean, Pamela Slim talked about this. She said, everybody has their own sacred journey. Mm-hmm. And I think that, to, to, you know, once I got to that, it changed a lot of things about the way I approached my work. Absolutely. You know, I, I can't imagine doing my life or my business any way differently. You know, I'm a coach. I'm a writer. I run these huge detox programs online. You know, I have a flexibility with my life. That's really fabulous for me, but I'm so glad my dad was a high school principal for 25 years at the same school. Mm-hmm. You know, he lived in the same town, worked at the same school for 25 years. He created an incredible legacy and touched so many people's lives at, through this one school. And I'm so proud of, of him and what he created. I think that's awesome. And, you know, like I said, he has, he has said to me, I, you know, I'm so proud of what you're doing, but it's not something I could do. And there's, but what's awesome is that there is a place for everyone. There really is a way for all of us to be successful in whatever way feels right. And that's what makes this time so exciting that the options are all out there. They really are. 
but it does take that non-judgmental, really looking at what you want. What do you want? You know, gosh, I ask my clients that and some of them break into tears. Either they've never been asked that question or they've never allowed themselves to really ask themselves that question. What do I really want in my life? Why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to have more energy? Is it just so I can work more? God, no. <laughs> Maybe there's something different. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the other thing I think when I when I hear about this idea of what we want, right? You know, for me, one of the big sort of profound realizations I had is there's such a big distinction between what we actually want and what we think we want. Because sometimes you get it and you're like, oh, this isn't quite what I thought it would be. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I love thinking about, you know, I'm actually writing my next book right now and it's, you know, women, food and desire. What do our cravings really mean? Whether it's cravings for sugar or fat or shopping or fame or a relationship, you know, what do we think those things are actually going to get us? How do we really want to feel? And, and why do we want to feel those ways? You know, again, these are, the, these are the questions. Like when you really start looking and feeling what it is you want to feel like most of the time in your life. And I'm really inspired by Danielle Laporte's Desire Map. Her work is so great. And, you know, combining that with Brene Brown and all these other people, like getting really vulnerable about who you are, what you are, and how you want to feel that that's I think that's kind of the work you need to dig into to start creating the life that you are going to be really happy with. And it could be a super simple life, mm-hmm. which is awesome. That's also possible. Super simple, happy life. Sign me up. <laughs> so let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, I, I want to talk about uh, one of what appears to me to be one of your sort of molding moments, but also rock bottom in your life when you got really sick. You know, you bounced back, and I know a lot of people who don't. Uh, and I'm very curious. I mean, do you think there is something inherently built into people that gives them that capacity, or do you think it's something that we can develop? Because what I am learning about living, you know, a creative life, uh, or you know, one of trying to be an artist who makes a living from his or her work, is that it requires an insane amount of resilience, and you have to have that ability to bounce back. Uh, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that based on, on sort of the experience you've had with health. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were, I think there were a number of factors in how I was able to bounce back. Um, and the, the first thing was that I was young, you know, I was 25 mm-hmm. and I do believe that for a good percentage of people, not for everyone, but when you change your diet, do a detox at a young age, Um, you know, depending on your background and how far into the illness you are, it's going to be a quicker turnaround. But Srini, I I tell you what, I think what had, it's, it's not, it's hard to know because I only did it the way I did it. So I can't know how another way would have worked, but I didn't just change my diet. Yes. I completely changed my diet. I took out all the refined foods, but I also stopped working in the job that was totally boring and debilitating. You know, I stopped working the 14 hour under fluorescent lights job that I hated and went back to school for something that I was so passionate about. And I ended a relationship, uh, around the same time, which wasn't really nurturing me. It was time for that relationship to be over. So 
I changed my diet, my job, and my relationship within the span of a few months. And that's actually one of the keys to, you know, people who go on diets and actually they work, you know, people who lose the weight and it stays off for good, they generally make some other kind of major life shift. You, you have to have a life that's worth living for in a way, mm-hmm. if you're really going to stick with the program. So I think it was a combination of, wow, my diet isn't working. My life isn't working. <laughs> to really step into a life that I love. So I think that's the, if there's any grit or resiliency in me, it's the, um, I think it's this ability to take, take big risks and just step into what I think is the next best place for me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, it's interesting you bring this up. I, I think that we, we, we try to compartmentalize change, I think, far too often. Like we think, hey, if I change this one thing, everything else will change. And, and I, you know, somebody once explained it to me more like a hub and spoke model that each change is one of the spokes in a wheel. I mean, like I look at these people have asked me about surfing and I, I say, you know, there's no way I could do anything like any of my creative work wouldn't be what it is without that because it, it kind of bled into every other area of my life. Like it caused me to make other changes. It was like, okay, now suddenly I'm healthy and I want to stop doing all these other things as well. Like it's like this one big change happens and then it, it has all these sort of byproducts of it. Uh, and I think it, it is a, it's interesting that it, it's, a, it's a holistic approach. And I think that we often think that, okay, if I change this one thing, that's, yes. all, that's all that matters. Right, right. And, you know, some people call that the, a keystone habit. Mm-hmm. I, I call it a heart habit. Uh, I, that just feels more kind of feminine and juicy for me. Um, to, you know, to change one or two, to change the, the two or three key ingredients in your life that are going to have this amazing ripple effect that change everything else. And, you know, it could be going to yoga in the morning. You know, if you have to get up at six and go to yoga, then you're more likely to go to bed early. You have to streamline the rest of your day so you get as much work done. You have to, you know, you're in community with other people. It, it just has a big effect. And it sounds like that's what surfing was for you. It like really changed the the flow of your life. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So, so that actually takes me to, to my next question. When you talked about this idea of stepping into a life you love, leaving the job under the fluorescent lights, which I, I, can, t- I can guarantee you there are people who are probably sitting under fluorescent lights while they're listening to this. Uh, so, you know, I think that the question for me becomes how in a realistic and practical way, considering you know, the fact that people have real needs, do we build a bridge from sort of the toxic life uh, that, that really is bad for us to the one, you know, to stepping into the life we love? Well, there, there may be absolutely nothing wrong with your job under the fluorescent lights. Um, although you could, you know, try to get some full spectrum light bulbs in <laughs> at your desk and some green plants. Those are my first two recommendations. Get some living house plants for your desk and some good light bulbs. Um, but, you know, there, there may be absolutely nothing wrong with what you're doing now. But there may be some significant tweaks you can make that just make you feel better. And, you know, I I don't know how to, I'm not really a career coach, so I don't know about completely switching gears for other people, but I would say if you don't know what you want, you have to start experimenting, you know, being willing to experiment. That's why, you know, I say the, my life of successful failures, it's just, um, a creative iterative process of trying different things as they pop up, but you have to be willing to go for and step into 
those desires when they come up. You know, I know lots of people who say, yeah, I've always wanted to try a dance class or a writing class or, you know, get extra training um, on this kind of design or something, but I haven't done it. It's like, why not? You know, whatever that desire was that popped up, it popped up as a sensation. It popped up as a yes in your body, in your electrical field somehow. And once you give it to yourself, not to make, you know, not to make yourself the best at it, but just to try it and see, wow, is this, is this fun? Do I like this? How does this feel? What does it lead me to next? You kind of got to be willing to like go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Well, I think that makes a, a perfect setup for my next question, which, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, healing yourself ignited this desire in you to, to really spread this message and, and it's played itself out in so many impactful ways. Uh, you know, I, I, in my mind, I think one of the things that requires is an insane amount of self-awareness to realize, hey, this is the desire that's been ignited. And I mean, in addition to the experiments, I mean, the experiments probably reveal what the desire might be, but I mean, how do you how do you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is the thing that has been ignited. It has to play itself out in so many ways. And then, and then we'll start getting into supersize me and all the other things that you've done. Yeah. Um, boy, that's such a good question. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say it through somebody else's words. Cause they said it so much better than me. I can't remember which Supreme court judge it was, but you know, they were trying to define pornography. You know what, when you see it, um, <laughs> it's like porn, your passion, you know, it, when you see it, you get to, you know, you have to be willing to go a little bit past the point of rational, I think mm-hmm. to, to find it, you have to be again, willing to take risks. You know, I've been reading some stuff on risk and creativity and all the stuff that's coming out about flow and, you know, there's, you know, new books coming out about being in the state of flow and what all that means. And, you know, setting aside your fear a little bit, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, all that stuff. I feel like these are all like overstated things that I'm just rehashing things other people have said, but man, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, being willing to risk and step into creativity, risk some money, risk some time, risk a failure, um, it becomes a little addictive in a way. So you do have to be careful that you don't, um, just keep risking to get the high. But when, you know, when you have the awareness of balancing risk and responsibility, like, yeah, I'm going to try this thing, but I'm still going to be able to pay my rent. That's, that's a pretty good sweet spot. I'd say for a lot of people. So let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and let's start talking about a supersized me. I mean, since we've been talking so much about creativity and risk, I mean, I think you're the first documentary filmmaker that I've ever had on the show. And not only that, you've made a wildly successful documentary. So, uh, I mean, you know, obviously you come to this conclusion that, Hey, you know, we're going to make supersize me. Uh, I mean, talk to me about that process. I mean, because it, like, it sounds like, you know, the desire that was ignited has played itself out in the form of books. It's played itself out in the form of films. And I'm really curious about the process of, of translating that desire that's been ignited into something as gargantuan as a film. Right. Um, that does just, like, I look at it like, you know, one of my dream projects is to possibly do a documentary film, but I have no idea where I would start. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I have to say that, you know, Morgan was the filmmaker. You know, he went to film school and we were a, we were a partnership. We were a team. 
we were dating at the time, living together. Um, and, but I was, you know, we brought our creative talents together as a real team. You know, I was the one going out and volunteering in local schools in the kitchen just to see, cause I was curious, like, how does the school lunch program work? Um, oh, I, I met a lunch lady. Can I come in and, and help? I just want to see how it works. Like, how are we feeding kids? So, and then I would bring these tales back to him and we would talk about like how messed up this all is. And then we had this conversation on the couch, on his mom's couch in Beckley, West Virginia on Thanksgiving day in 2002 about these girls who were suing McDonald's over their diabetes and obesity. You know, they were suing a food company. And Morgan said, that's crazy. You can't sue a food company. You bought the food. You went in there in your own free will. And I said, well, but look at how they market to children. Look at how they market their food as safe to eat, healthy to eat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner all day long. You know, don't they have some responsibility? So it was this series of conversations and experiences that we brought together as a team that created the idea. And, you know, his light bulb moment, we were having this conversation. He said, well, what if I just ate nothing but McDonald's for a month? And that was it. That was, he was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. And he went and called his cameraman and a month later we were shooting the movie. So, you know, he had the skills and had been working as a, a budding filmmaker to know that he could craft a story and experiment with you know, the knowledge and the conversations that we were having. It was just an ongoing conversation and exploration. And we really didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, we had no idea what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he got really sick. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a very interesting movie. Um, you know, his doctors all said, oh, nothing's going to happen. You might put on a few pounds, but the, the human body is really resilient. And I was the only one who said, dude, you are going to get so sick. This is going to be miserable for you. So luckily I was right (laughs) (laughs) to have a little bit of drama. And, you know, he's a, he's a good filmmaker. He's a good storyteller. And he was able to craft that together. Um, and, you know, bring in all these voices for alternative medicine and food and health that I knew and had been following. And I was like, you got to bring in this guy and go talk to these people. So it was a, it was a partnership. And that's what I really recommend for anyone, for you who wants to, to bring a story to the screen. You know, I was just talking to Nick Polizzi. He's a friend of mine. He, he's behind the movies, um, the documentaries, the sacred science and raw for 30 days and the tapping solution, you know, he kind of fell into documentary filmmaking as a way to bring the passions and stories to the masses that he cared about. And what's so cool is that filmmaking is so cheap and possible now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can spend maybe 10 grand on all of the equipment and programs that you need to make a really good quality documentary now, which is very cool. That is cool. And then you've got crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter. Uh, I mean, there's just a world of options. You know, one other question comes for me around this, and I I do want to talk about that whole Kickstarter concept, because I think that to me, there's a much bigger narrative here uh, around, you know, approaching big projects. But I mean, when you when you gather all of this information, I guess for me, you know, as a writer and, and somebody who's written multiple books, who's also been involved in, in the, you know, shaping the arc and narrative of a film. I mean, how do you take all of that and shape the arc and narrative of it so that it does result in a compelling story? 
Well, you shoot a lot. <laughs> you shoot hundreds of hours of footage. And, you know, he, what was helpful for Super Size Me that I think a few other food movies have missed a little bit. You know, there have been some really amazing food documentaries come out in the last 10 years since Super Size Me. But Super Size Me was fun to watch. Why? Because you were watching Morgan do this experiment on himself. So having that through line as a way to examine the bigger issue was super helpful. Having a definitive beginning and a definitive end as part of the arc, that's really, really helpful. You know, it gives, because otherwise you could just film forever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like writing a book. I'm sure you've experienced this. You're like, oh, wait, I need to, no, I need to add this. And you can just go back and change it and change it and add to it forever. But you got to have got to give yourself a deadline. I call it freedom within the framework. You know, creativity is awesome, but you don't really start to push and flex your creative muscle unless you have constraints. So you have to build some kind of constraint, a challenge as it were, like what would happen if X? That's a great place to start from. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, that, that more or less, that, that's a pretty good way to sum up my, my creative process for the art of being unmistakable. I mean, it was like, what would happen if I just kept doing these ridiculously long Facebook updates and one day compiled them into a book? Yeah. Um, and I discovered a way of writing that I, I you know, would have never stumbled upon. It was just an experiment that led to a lot of interesting things, which kind of brings us back to that whole thread. Uh, but, you know, it, you know, you brought up the idea that, you know, nowadays it's cheaper than ever. I mean, I, I think it's only a matter of time before we'll be able to do stuff like this on our iPhones. I mean, I think that's where we're headed. Um, but to me, there, there's even a larger story that plays out here for people when when they think about bigger projects or, or bigger creative endeavors. And that's sort of having the confidence to say, you know what, I'm capable of something this gargantuan or this crazy. And I am, you know, as somebody who's done it, where, where do you find that and how do people find it? Wow. Well, again, I think it's it's finding a balance between risk and responsibility, Um, I've never really said it in that way, but that's, yeah, that's what feels right. That you're moving forward, creating something that makes, it makes sense. You know, there's a, there's a possible bonus end game to this project. Like, yeah, I'm going to publish a book out of all this, or I'm going to make a movie and get it into Sundance and distribute it. You know, there's a possibility of it leading you through your life and making money and, you know, being a benefit to you and other people. But you also have to really risk something in order to keep pushing you. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, you know, we didn't, we didn't crowdfund our movie. We we did crowdfunding called MasterCard. That was our crowdfunding. (laughs) (laughs) We were living off of my tips and credit cards. For a, for a good few months and and everyone who worked on the film they barely got paid i mean we were all just scraping by to make this movie so man everyone put their heart and soul into it but you know because we had a you know we had a leadership team we had me and morgan who believed in this film and said, yes, this is so important. And we, everyone bought into our idea, like, yeah, we really believe in this, that they were willing to put their, their livelihoods on the line. And yeah, people were working other jobs while we made it. And, you know, I've, I've done a series of things 
as I, as I've grown my business, you know, doing catering on the side, doing cooking classes, you know, while doing coaching and writing books and, you know, it's all good. That's another part of the non-judgmental part of it is that sometimes when you're a creative and an entrepreneur, you start off and you have to be willing to make your rent doing other things. But again, that's, I, I keep coming back to risk. Like when you're risking something, you really want it to happen because something is on the line, whether it's your, you know, whether it's your reputation, whether it's money, it could, you know, unfortunately it's often a relationship could be on the line. So balancing that with a really true responsibility for yourself that you need to bring your voice to the world. You have to tell the story. That's, I think that's the sweet spot. Awesome. So let me ask you this. I mean, obviously the, the sort of the, the after effects of this have, have been pretty profound and I'm very curious kind of, you know, what has happened after, uh, supersize me? Like what has the impact of the film been, uh, you know, on, on your life and then the world at large? Well, I was, you know, the, the impact of the film was awesome. You know, we toured premiering the film all over the world. We went to over 20 countries in a year, um, the film got distributed in, I don't, I think 23 countries and we went to all of them, had amazing passport stamps. It was fabulous. And it, it really, um, it was a lightning bolt in a bottle kind of movie. It just came out at the right time where there was this growing food movement and awareness and this film captured, it was, people were able to point to it and say, yes, that, that's what I've been talking about. So it, it was at the right time. And it allowed both of us to just really expand our budding careers. You know, I immediately wrote a book, um, The Great American Detox Diet, which came out right after the film and detailed how I healed my body, how I healed Morgan's body, um, which is still, you know, on Amazon selling well eight years later. Um, Morgan went on to make more TV shows. We did a series called 30 Days. Um, that he and I were both in, I was in a few of the episodes and he was in all the episodes where you know, really people stepped into another life, a la supersize me to examine a social issue. And, you know, he's made other movies and he has the series on CNN. So, um, yeah, so it's both just, it's enabled both of us to have, a, a great kind of feather in our cap. Like, yeah, we made this movie and it really had an impact. Um, you know, and getting to go to the Oscars was super cool going down the red carpet. That was really fun going on Oprah, all that stuff. That's it's fun and it's great, but you can't, you know, you can't say, well, I went on Oprah, so I'm done. No, you're never done. You keep going, you keep creating. Um, and we, you know, we got married and we have a, we have a seven-year-old son together. Um, we're not married anymore, but we live in the same neighborhood. We co-parent this great kid together. And it's really enabled us to both keep going. And, and what's really fun is that this is actually the 10-year anniversary of Supersize Me. And there's still a lot of love out there for the film. I still get emails from people who say, that was the first movie I saw and I realized how my diet was affecting my health. And I've changed my diet or I read your book and I'm, you know, I'm no longer diabetic or 
I, you know, I, I got off my heart medications, you know, that's powerful stuff. It's so, it's so humbling and so gratifying to have that effect. You know, I love that you brought up that you know you, you're you're not done. Like, there's no no sort of hey, I've been on Oprah and I'm done. And I, you know, I, I John Lee Dumas asks people often, "Have you ever had an I've made it moment?" And I, when I got asked that question, you know, I said this was before the art of being unmistakable, uh, you know, kind of had its success. I said, you know, I, I think that it's a myth. I think it's myth a myth that people who think they haven't made it believe, and then when they get the accolade that they think, you know, basically defines making it they realize how untrue that whole I've made it moment is. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think that's true for so many of us. I, but I didn't realize it. I thought it was just me for a while. I was like, God, I'm so restless. Why can't I just be happy? Mm-hmm. And then I realized, no, I am. I'm actually, I'm happy. Like I love, I love my life. I love my career. I love what I get to do. And there's still so much more. It's just a continuing exploration and I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity and I, t- I take it really seriously. I take it very seriously that people read my stuff and look to me for new ideas and, you know, look to my programs for support. And I, I really want to honor that trust, um, which, you know, part of the, I guess, part of what I didn't say about the, the coming out is no longer vegan, which was really why it was so challenging was that I, I felt like I was turning my back on people. Like I've been, I've been writing vegan recipes for over a decade. And I, st- again, I still believe that it's a, a super valuable, wonderful diet for people to try if they need help with their health. But when I found that it wasn't true for me anymore, I mean, the backlash was crazy. The thousands of comments, the, the thing went viral, the Facebook posts, the, the death wish emails. I mean, people wishing me dead, people saying, I hope you get cancer and die because you've turned your back on the animals. I hope you have a heart attack. It's like, wow, this is why I didn't publish that blog post for so long. <laughs> I knew it was coming, but it was intense. It was really intense. And, uh, and I think, unfortunately, that kind of backlash is actually what keeps some people from trying new things like a vegan diet. I think that backlash from certain people in the community, I'm not saying all vegans are like this because they're not. I have lots of amazing friends who are vegans, don't care what I eat. They're, you know, they still love me. It's all good. But there are certain people who are very angry and will lash out. Um, and I think people are curious about a vegan diet and lifestyle who are afraid to try it because of the backlash that happened to me and other people who have come out as no longer vegan. Um, so like, wow, what if I, what if I try it? And this is true for all kinds of things, not just diet, but what if I try What if I try vegan? What if I try to be an entrepreneur and it doesn't work? And then people have seen that I've failed and they'll think that I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. And that kind of um, vindictive, judgmental culture we live in is really what holds people back. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to touch it because, I mean, I, I agree. There's there's so much there and we could spend another hour talking if we started talking about that. 
<laughs> probably, probably. You know, I mean, I, I will say, like, I think that, that that opens up. I mean, when you can get past that, I feel that's, you know, sometimes you have to cross the line to figure out where it's at. And, I mean, the world just opens up to you in ways you can't imagine when you do. Yeah, and I guess I have our our friend Jonathan Fields to thank for kind of pushing me out and finally getting me to publish the post in the first place. He's like, so, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'd love to have you on the Good Life Project. He's like, have you come out yet? Can I talk about it? And I said, yeah, you know, the video won't go out for a few months, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, so let's do it. And then he's, he called me and he's like, hey, the video's ready. It's like two weeks later. It's like, so can, can I, pu- can I publish this? You talk about not being vegan anymore. I was like, Oh shit. Better, better put that blog post out there. Cause I'm talking in Jonathan's interview about not being vegan anymore. Yeah. So I thank him. I thank him every time I see him for pushing me out there and finally doing it. Sometimes you need, you know, that's another piece of it. Sometimes you need a really great community of people who are really holding you to your higher standard and your own truth to help you forward. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that you brought up that you take, you know, everything so seriously. It's, it's really, I mean, it's one of those things I feel I've become very obsessed with is, is looking at, uh, you know, I was telling somebody, I said, you know, I think when I looked at our numbers for January, I got nervous because I said, wow, we just had a string of hits. It's like, you know, and I know when we're, you know, producing high quality work and it goes to that thing. It's like, Oh shit, how do I keep this going? Like, I'm like, okay, my, my, my next sort of, you know, creative project is find everything that Pixar has ever done or every book written about Pixar. So we can figure out what we can learn from them to, <laughs> to keep a standard that is just continually getting better. And it's, it's, you know, and, and I go back and I have to like tear things apart and think about how it could be better. Um, but I think that that's normal. I think it just comes with this work. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and I do think that having a, I just have to go back and say having a community of people who really love you and appreciate you for who you are, not what you self-identify as, is key. Really key. Awesome. Well, you know, I mean, Alex, as as I've sat here and really just thought through a lot of what you've said and as I'm sort of digesting it myself and, and processing it, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, your message is about so much more than just health and diet, but really detoxifying your whole life. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's really about finding what works for you in any given moment to help you feel the way you want to feel. And at the most basic level, that's about food. You know, it's the fuel we put in our body that makes up the cells that makes up the hormones that form our moods and our thoughts. But in general, it's about, it's really just about following your gut, listening to your cravings, you know, those cravings might be for food. It might be for sex. It might be for a new relationship or career. Your body's always telling you what's true for you. You just have to learn how to interpret that language. And it's a, man, once you start to understand it and really give yourself the gift of listening to your own body, it's it's profound, man. It's powerful and it's fun because then you start to feel good 98% of the time. Awesome. Well, Alex, uh, I am going to close with my final question. And, uh, you know, it's funny because I finally came up with something new as opposed to the one I've been asking for hundreds of interviews. I mean, you know, our show is called The Unmistakable Creative. Uh, so in a world of this much noise, how do you become unmistakable? Oh, you know what? You're already unmistakable. When, when you really just start expressing yourself, your, your true self, your true desires, all of your quirks, you're already unmistakable. 
you don't you don't necessarily need to produce or deliver anything over top of who you already are. And I think that's um, that's something that's hard for a lot of people to accept is that you are already awesome. <laughs> I say this to my kid, my seven-year-old, like, I already love you. You don't have to do anything to make me love you more. Just be you. Give, give the gift of you to all of us. You know, I felt this way about my mom. I'm going to get all misty here. I'm going to feel this way about my mom. I feel that way about my kid. I feel this way about my clients when I see them. I'm like, you are so awesome. You don't even see how brilliant you are. And you're already unmistakable. It's, it's fantastic. And when you start to really love that and give yourself the gift of exploring your passions and your cravings, man, then you just have way more fun sharing it. Awesome. Well, I think that makes a, a beautiful way to sum up our conversation. Uh, Alex, it's been my absolute pleasure to have you here as a, a guest on The Unmistakable Creative. I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and share uh, your story with our listeners. This was so fun. Thank you. And for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks for listening in on another candid conversation at The Unmistakable Creative. Embrace your inner misfit. Express your creative voice. And remember, the goal isn't to live forever, but to create something that will. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. 
We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.